Hello and welcome to another episode of Don't Fuck With The Original. I'm your host Casper and I'm not sick. Yay! Yay! <laughs> and I'm your other host Becky Gremlin. I'm not sick either. Yay. Yay! <laughs> and it's Friday but we're here to bring you spooky things on Friday because... Fridays? I almost said Wednesdays. Fridays, any days, Wednesdays are for podcasts. Fridays are for podcasts when we're sick. When Wednesdays. We're, yeah. Yeah. Fridays is always usually the, the default, alternative the day. default day. So, yes. Um, yes, Casper is feeling much better, guys. Um, thank you for all the will wishes. It's been a it's but, been a very long week. Yeah, it's been kind <laughs> and of And I sound terrible still, so I'm sorry about it's that. It's been kind of crazy. But Yeah, I thought I was finally, getting a stomach flu and I was not about that life. Or the, I keep calling it the coronavirus. It is called the coronavirus. I, I thought, thought it was corona. I thought it was corona because I remember being like, <laughs> that's what the sounds beer. like a beer. <laughs> don't drink that corona. <laughs> Maybe it is corona. I don't know. Cause I, okay. Because corona, I kept thinking about. Thank you. I'm so glad. Because I thought when my... someone told me it was the coronavirus, I was like, isn't that a beer? <laughs> <laughs> That is like moderately tasting that you would have with a burrito and a lime. Like, and a lime, yeah. Yeah, you definitely got to have right now. I wouldn't be able to taste shit but. at all. But uh, yeah, so no. It so wasn't no, that. I do not have the beer virus, and I do not have the stomach virus. No. I am just tired and now just full of shit. Yeah, and we're just done. I'm always full of shit. And you know, if anybody lives in the Midwest or the East, the weather is fucking crazy right now, and everybody's got a little bit of something going on. It's kind of ridiculous because right now it's like 50 degrees outside. And like three days ago, it was like seven. I'm like, I, this is why this is happening. And it's also like, it was seven and snowing and it's today is like 50 and raining. So you're just like, I'm over here singing that song too. What I is? need a hero. <laughs> I voted out for a hero to the end of the night. You should not have watched that video, like, right before. If you guys haven't seen it, watch um, Ben Solo, I Need a Hero. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> it's just, just do it. It's amazing. It's, it's one of those things pretty... you never knew you needed, but you need it. And it's a big spoiler, so please make sure you've seen the new Star Wars first, and yeah. then go watch it. Yes, yeah, a and giant then, spoiler. And then you're welcome. <laughs> also, it's, it's been over a, almost a month since Star Wars it's all, has been out, yeah, so y'all you should have seen it by now. That. If you're a fan, get on that. Get on that. Come on. Also, they're looking so, for a new director for Captain Marvel too. So Sasuke sisters whoa. are like very on top of that right now, Yay. and I'm like. You know, they did direct Black Widow. Pretty excited. You know? Pretty excited about that. Let's do that. Let's make that You know what they need because... to call it? They need to call it Captain Marvel. If you weren't gay or bi before, <laughs> this is your confirmation. You're welcome. <laughs> if you to are, all the ladies. If you are questioning your queerness, you're welcome. <laughs> Brie Larson and Tessa Thompson. <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> Captain Marvel and Valkyrie. Well, I would think it would make sense for the Sasuke sisters to take this on because oh, fuck. Wonder Woman is going to need a big, like Wonder Woman is literally the lasting factor with DC right now. If the new Harley Quinn movie doesn't, doesn't make out well. So 
Who directed that? Like I, I the new one. Literally, have I don't no know. Idea. I don't know either. I don't know. It looks great. It looks good. It I'm, does. I'm it gonna. Looks good. I'm gonna watch it. I'm gonna see it. I love Margot Robbie, but um, regardless, but like the biggest contender right now for DC is Wonder Woman. So Captain Marvel is gonna be the biggest female contender Marvel has to go up against Wonder Woman because the first one blew it out of the park. So Wonder Woman yeah. is the best thing DC's ever done, hands down. Well, Bes- they- well, besides the Dark Knight series, which it doesn't really, I f- I don't know why, but in my mind, the Dark Knight series doesn't fit into the DC series because, like, I feel like Batman versus Superman is in DC, and I feel like, well, the um, Dark Knight is more of a graphic novel. The, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. The history and the contingency of of Batman as a character has its roots in DC, right? And then the rivalry between him and Superman is in its core within DC. I just felt like so the it's Dark Knight series just felt and it's like... Different, it's, it's different illustrators. Yeah. It's, to, it's a totally different... So it stays within the franchise that it's considered a DC movie, but right. the Dark Knight trilogy is a complete standalone from any of the other Batman series, especially anything after, you know, Batman versus Superman and Sins. So, yeah, Sasuke Sisters... Black Widow looks incredible. I think that they could be incredible for uh, Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel, yeah, for sure. And Captain Marvel is going to be the biggest rival against Wonder Woman. So I think we need to make that happen. Keep it. Keep- I need a hero. <laughs> I'm holding. <laughs> we are so sorry to plant that earwig in everybody's. You're fucking. <laughs> So Zodiac Killer. Okay, we're not sorry. Um, yeah, this <laughs> is going to be... a super, like, diehard Star Wars superhero discussion, and then we're like, so Zodiac. Um, so Zodiac <laughs> Killer, you know what, though? It's because we always try to go lighthearted in things like this, because Zodiac Killer is a pretty high-profile case that's really awful, and the thing that makes it even the most awful is that, A, we know of crimes that have been committed, B... We know of crimes that have been left unsolved and see we have no idea who the killer is even to this day. And it's been over 40 to 50 years later and we still don't know. It's one Um, of the most popular cold cases out there. Yeah. Excuse me. There was an incredible movie made back in, I think, 2007 by David Fincher called Zodiac. Um, We will be referencing that. If you guys have not seen that, I highly recommend seeing that because that is one of the movies that I think follows the timeline pretty, probably more clear than any of the stories. And a lot of it is due. I think the guy's name is Robert Claywright, if I remember correctly. I'll have to look up his name, but that's who Jake Gyllenhaal played in the movie. And, uh... That guy is the one who wrote, Robert Gray Smith, I'm sorry. Uh, He wrote the book Zodiac and um, he basically started off as an illustrator and started working along the police department um, with trying to solve the case. More more importantly, Inspector Dave Tashi, who Mark Ruffalo played, and this guy played He was a San Francisco police officer. We'll get into him, but he played a really significant role in being the lead inspector, at least on San Francisco's side 
of the Zodiac Killer case because there were several police departments throughout California that were in search of him because of where he kind of hopped from crime to crime. But uh, Inspector Dave Tashi was the most well-known in how affected and wrapped up he got in the case with San Francisco's uh, police department. But um, yeah, Zodiac, if you guys have never seen that movie, it like I said, it was Dave Fincher directed Gone Girl. The guy is an incredible director. And this movie specifically was voted 12 among the best 100 films of the 21st century in 2016. It grossed over 85, $85 million. It was just... I also have to admit it's actually film. so accurate. And and you, you, when you wa- when you watch a lot of films that are to do with real life, there are a lot of things you'll find where you're like that's not very accurate, that's not very accurate. There's not mer- very much in this film where I was like that's not accurate. It's almost like watching the actual thing happen. Well, where directors will will take what they call creative. Right. Uh, direction and a lot of that is not accurate to the story but this movie was damn near spot on and David Fincher kept it to a T I was following along I'd seen the movie many times before but watched it a couple days prior to the starting the podcast and even followed along with the Wikipedia page which which we will be referencing in the podcast to the case itself and it followed along pretty damn close and especially like Oh my God, you know, the, the, the way it really takes its time with specifically the stabbing on the beach and knowing that that happened in real life and seeing that portrayed on screen, in my opinion, was probably one of the most horrifying scenes in the movie because you know that really happened to someone and there was someone out there that actually did that who, by the timeline if he were still alive, would be really old. He would be in his late 70s. Uh, More than likely is probably dead if certain suspects, people would be led to believe were the one who were actually were the Zodiac Killer would be deceased by now. But if were to be still alive, he'd be in his late 70s. So that in itself is even more horrifying, the thought that... If he was alive. If he was still alive. So... No. um, (laughs) No. He was given, so um, I'll just start off with a basic overview from Wikipedia that describes him. Um, Zodiac Killer was a pseudonym that was given to him. He operated in Northern California from the 60s to the early 70s, and he murdered victims in Benicia, Vallejo, Napa County, and San Francisco, specifically between December of 68 and October of 69. He targeted four men, three women between 16 to 29, with two of the men actually surviving their murders, attemptedly. The Zodiac himself claimed to have killed 37. This was in one of the original letters that was released. He, um, he himself actually originated, originated the name Zodiac in a series of taunting letters that he sent to the Bay Area Press. This is where Robert Gray Smith became involved. Um, his letters included four cryptograms, or would be considered ciphers, of the four only one has definitively been solved. Um, that was portrayed in the movie, again, that we mentioned. Um, suspects have been named by law enforcement and amateur investigators, but no one conclusively has been named. No evidence has surfaced. The San Francisco Police Department has marked the case inactive as of 2004, but reopened it at some point in March of 2007. And the case 
still remains open in the city of Vallejo, as well as Napa County and Solano County. The California Department of Justice has maintained an open case file on Zodiac since 1969. Um, the confirmed victims, before we get into the actual timeline of the case, are... Um, even though Zodiac claimed 37. David Faraday was 17 and Betty Jensen was 16. Both were shot on December 20th of 68 on Lake Herman Road in Benicia, California. Michael Magow or Magow, who was 19, and Darlene Farron, 22, shot on July 4th of 1969 in a parking lot on Blue Rock Springs Park in Vallejo. Uh, Maggie actually survived the attack. Farron was pronounced dead on arrival at Kaiser Foundation Hospital. Brian Hartnell was 20 and Cecilia Shepard was 22. Both were stabbed on September 27th of 1969 at Lake Baressa in Napa County. These were the ones that were portrayed very vividly in the film Zodiac. Um, Hartnell, again, was uh, was one of the two male survivors he sustained eight stab wounds to his back. Shepard died of her stab wounds on September 29th, um, two days later. Paul Stein, 29, was shot and killed on October 11th, 1969 in Presedo Heights in San Francisco. This was the crime that actually got Detective Tashi involved. Um, and then these were suspected uh, crimes committed by Zodiac, although not yet confirmed. Robert Domingos, 18, and Linda Edwards, 17, both shot on June 4th of 63 on a beach near uh, Gavatio. Edwards and Domingos were both identified as possible Zodiac victims because of the specific similarities between their attack and the Lake Baressa six years later. Uh, Sherry Jo Bates, 18, was stabbed to death and nearly decapitated on October 30th of 1966 at Riverside City College in Riverside. Bates' possible connection to Zodiac only appeared four years later in the San Francisco Chronicle report by Paul Avery, who received a tip regarding similar crimes by the Zodiac killings and circumstances surrounding Bates' death. Uh, Paul Avery was played by Robert Downey Jr. in Zodiac. Um, Donna Lass, 25, was last seen September 6, 1970 in State Line, Nevada, so this would actually differ from any of the California crimes. A postcard with an advertisement from Forest Pines Condominiums in Lake Tahoe passed on the back was received at the Chronicle on March 22, 1971 and was interpreted as Zodiac's claims uh, that Lass's disappearance was one of his victims. No evidence was uncovered to connect Lass's disappearance to Zodiac. Zodiac was also suspected of the Santa Rosa hitchhiker murders, which a lot of those have still been unsolved. That was between 1972 and 1973 in Santa Rosa, California. Um, and this, this was a suspected escapee of Zodiac. This was another thing that was mentioned, uh, played out in the movie. Um, a woman by the name of Kathleen Johns, 22, was abducted with her baby daughter on March 22, 1970 on Highway 32 near Interstate 580 in the area west of Modesto, California. Um, she escaped from the car um, of a man who drove her and her infant daughter, like I mentioned, around the area between Stockton and Patterson. So this was the part that played out in the road where there was something wrong with her car. This guy happened to notice it, stopped her, supposedly fixed it. She drived a few miles later. The car happened to not be fixed. 
he forced her into his car. I'm actually pretty uh, sure there was nothing wrong with her car to begin with. Yeah. And he was faking it. And then that's why he Could have like, followed her, could have known, could have done like, something earlier. Oh, you earlier. have a baby. And he was like, Exactly. Fuck. And it planned on doing something to her on the way to what he said, or, uh, uh, oh, someone, a mechanic off, a mechanics to fix the car. And she and then, jumped out of the car with her daughter. Yeah, because he said, before I, so before I kill you, I'm going to throw, throw your baby, your baby out, out the, the window. window. Yeah. That Jesus. was something that was mentioned in the movie. So, um, if you wanted to go into the timeline of the murders. Yeah, I, I do apologize to you guys. I'm getting over a sickness. So if you hear me like, or if I'm like talking like this, I don't mean to. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Like, guys, please. I, I'm like, I, like I said I have before. I've blown my nose 7,000 times today to try I'm to get sure. here. <laughs> others are going through this or knows others that have, especially if you live in the Midwest, Ohio region. Knows others? There's nothing <laughs> knows that we can others. Knows, knows, knows. It's fine. <laughs> um, Let me take a drink before I get started. So the first suspected attack was actually in 1968, even though the movie Zodiac starts with the July 4th murders in 1969. So we just wanted to preface that if anybody had seen the movie was a little confused of where the timeline originally started. So the first murders were the shootings of high school students Betty Jensen and David Faraday on December 20th, 1968. On Lake Herman Road, just inside Benincia City, Benincia City limits. The couple were on their first date and planned to attend a Christmas concert at Hogan High School about three blocks from Jensen's home. The couple instead visited a friend before stopping at a local restaurant and then driving out on Lake Herman Road. At about 10.15 p.m., Faraday parked his mother's Rambler in a gravel turnout, which was a well-known lover's lane. Shortly after 11, their bodies were found by Stella Borges, who lived nearby. The Solano County Sheriff's Department investigated the crime, but no leads developed. Utilizing available forensic data, Robert Graysmith postulated that another car pulled into the turnout just prior to 11 and parked beside the couple. Excuse me. The killer apparently exited the second car and walked towards the Rambler, possibly ordering the couple out of the Rambler. Jensen appeared to have exited the car first, yet when Faraday was halfway out, the killer apparently shot him in the head, and the killer then shot Jensen five times in the back as she fled. Her body was found 20 feet from the car. The killer then drove off. Just before midnight on July 4th of 1969, Darlene Farron and Michael McGow drove into the Blue Rock Springs Park in Vallejo, four miles from the Lake Herman Road murder site, and parked. While the couple sat in Farron's car, a second car drove into the lot and parked alongside them, but almost immediately drove away. Returning about 10 minutes later, the second car parked behind them, Sorry. Returning about 10 minutes later, this second car parked behind them. The driver of the second car then exited the vehicle, approaching the passenger side door of Farron's car, carrying a flashlight and a 9mm Luger. The killer directed the flashlight into Mago's eyes and Farron's eyes before shooting at them, firing five times. Both victims were hit, and several bullets had passed through Mago and into Farron. The killer walked away from the car, but upon hearing Mago's moaning, returned and shot each victim twice before driving off. I distinctly remember that in the movie. Like, I that scene right there, I distinctly remember. And I know that, well, originally Darlene Farron thought it was her husband, because apparently right. she had been having an affair um, 
with Michael. So they thought it was her husband that, that had followed them to the spot. So, yeah. On July 5th, 1969, at 1240 a.m., a man phoned the Vallejo to police, Vallejo Police Department to report and claim responsibility for the attack. The caller also took credit for the murders of Jensen and Faraday six and a half months earlier. The police traced the call to a phone booth at a gas station at Springs Road in Tulima. Thank you. Yeah. Located <laughs> about three-tenths of a mile from Farron's home and only a flu- flu- few blocks from Vallejo Police Department. There's a lot of L's going on right flu? now. Flu? Like, no. <laughs> flu? Please no. Hello! <laughs> Farron was pronounced dead at the hospital. Mago survived the attack despite being shot in the face, neck, and chest. Mago described his attacker as a 26 to 30-year-old, 195 to 200 pound or possibly even more, Five foot eight inch white male with short light brown curly hair. On August first, nineteen sixty nine, three letters prepared by the killer were received at the Vallejo Times Herald, San Francisco Chronicle, and the San Francisco Examiner. The nearly identical letters subsequently described a psychiatrist to have been written by someone you would expect to be brooding and isolated, took credit for the shootings at Lake Herman Road and Blue Rock Springs. Each letter also included one-third of a 408-symbol cryptogram which the killer claimed contained his identity. The killer demanded they be printed on each paper's front page or he would cruise around all weekend killing lone people in the night and then move on to kill again until I end up with a dozen people over the weekend. So... The one that they actually had figured out, um, which was actually figured out by, um, I'm trying to remember who. It was two teachers. It was, it was two, yeah. like, math, what was it, two math teachers, the way they described it in the movie? Or history. It was two history, history teachers. teachers. Yeah, Donald and Betty Harden in, yeah. on August 8th of 1969 cracked the first code. Um, so this is what it said. I like killing or part of it. Yeah. yeah, part of it. I like killing people because it is so much fun. It is more fun than killing wild game in the forest because man is the most da- dangerous ga- animal of all to kill. Something gives me the most thrilling experience. It is even better than getting your rocks off with a girl. The best part of it is that when I die, I will be reborn in paradise and I and then I will have killed will become my slaves. I will not give you my name because you will try to slow me down or top, stop my collecting of slaves for my afterlife, which was... And a bunch of gibberish, it looks yeah. like. So it's kind of like that was that was part of the for this cipher that they figured out, and that was the only one that they figured out. Yeah. Um, the Chronicle published its third of the cryptogram on page four of the next day's edition... An article printed alongside the code quoted Vallejo Police Chief Jack Stilt saying, We were not satisfied that the letter was written by the murderer and requested a the writer send a second letter with more facts to prove his identity. The threatened murders did not happen and all three parts were eventually published. On August 7, 1969, another letter was received at San Francisco Examiner with the salutation, Dear Editor, this is the Zodiac speaking. This was the first time the killer had used this name for identification. The letter was a response to Chief Stilt's request for more details that would prove he had killed Faraday, Jensen, and Farron. In it, the Zodiac included details about the murders, which had not yet been released to the public, as well as a message to the police that when they crack his code, they will have me. 
On August 8, 1969, Donald and Bet Harden of Salinas, California, cracked the symbol, which is what we had talked about. It contained a misspelled message in which the killer said he was collecting slaves for the afterlife. No name appears in the Dakota text, and the killer said that he would not give away his identity because it would slow down or stop his slave collection. Right. I Clearly, this is all signs point to mental illness on that part. Oh, um, yeah, for sure. I mean, I feel like you kind of have to have some kind of mental illness if you're killing people anyway. You know? Well, you have a delusion. I mean, especially with the way he was describing the fact that he wasn't even seeing people as people. These were people, these were things that he needed to serve him in the afterlife. So that right there in, in itself is a completely distorted view of the world, if if that's what, what you perceive. And that justifies your... Killing and like, if you really think that killing people is going to give you slaves in the afterlife, then why the fuck isn't anyone, everyone in the world killing everyone? Because, <laughs> bitch, I'd be killing some slaves again for my afterlife. Mental illness. Right. <laughs> like, clearly. On September 20th. That would be more common. Right? It would, killing would be a yeah, lot more common. Lot more common. <laughs> and I don't think you should go to prison for acquiring slaves for your afterlife. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Maybe I just needed some slaves. On September 27th, 1969, Pacific Union College students Brian Hartnell and Cecilia Shepard were picnicking at Lake Baressa on a small island connected by a sand spit to Twin Oak Ridge. A white man about 5 feet 11 inches weighing more than 170 pounds with combed greasy brown hair approached them wearing a black executioner's type hood with clip-on sunglasses over the eye holes, and a bib-like device on his chest that had a white 3x3-inch cross-circle symbol on it. I also remember this part in the movie, too. Yeah, this was pretty brutal. He approached them with a gun, which Hartnell believed to be a forty-five. The hooded man claimed to be an escaped convict from jail with the two-word name in either Colorado or Montana. A police officer later inferred that he had been referring to a jail in Deer Lodge, Montana, where he had killed a guard and subsequently stolen a car explaining that he now needed their car and money to go to Mexico as the vehicle he had been driving was, quote-unquote, too hot. He had brought pre- Whoa. He had brought pre-cut lengths of plastic clothesline and told Shepard to tie apart now before he had tied her up. The killer checked and tightened Hartnell's bonds after discovering Shepard had bound Hartnell's hands loosely. Hartnell initially believed this event to be a weird robbery, but the man drew a knife and stabbed them both repeat- repeatedly. Hartnell suffering 6 and Shepard 10 in the process. The killer then hiked 500 yards back up to Knoxville Road, drew the cross symbol on Hartnell's car door with a black felt-tip pen and wrote beneath it, Vallejo, 12-20-68-7-4-69, September 27th, 69-630 by knife. That was also in the movie. I remember that too. Mm-hmm. At 7.40 p.m., the killer called the Napa County Sheriff's Office from a pay telephone to report the latest crime. The caller first stated to the operator that he wished to report a murder, no, a double murder, before stating that he had been the perpetrator of the crime. The phone was found still off the hook minutes later at the Napa Car Wash on Main Street in Napa by Kayvon Radio reporter Pat Stanley only a few blocks from the sheriff's office, yet 27 miles from the crime scene. Detectives were able to lift a still wet palm print from the telephone but were never able to match it to any suspect. After hearing their screams for help, a man and his son, who were fishing in a nearby cove, discovered the victims and someone helped by contacting park rangers. 
Napa County Sheriff's deputies Dave Collins and Ray Land were the first law enforcement officers to arrive at the crime scene. Cecilia Shepard was conscious when the Collins arrived, providing him with a detailed description of the attacker. Hartnell and Shepard were taken to Queen of the Valley Hospital in Napa by ambulance. Shepard lapsed into a coma during transport to the hospital and never regained consciousness. She died two days later, but Hartnell survived to recount his tale to the press. Napa County Sheriff Detective Ken Narlo, who was assigned to the case from the onset, worked on solving this crime until his retirement from the department in 1987. I'm, it still floors me to, to think that that guy actually survived that. Right. That anybody would have survived that. And that she even survived it enough to Long where she enough could to... yeah, give a description. Yeah. Sucks that she ended up dying, oh but my God. Yeah, she gave but... such a detailed description of him. But it's still incredible that this guy just, I mean, he wanted so badly. And I think a lot of, I mean, we, the, if you go back to our BTK episode, like these guys want recognition, but they do not want to get caught. Like they want to keep doing this until they're ready to stop, but they want to make sure that you know that it's them. Right. So yeah, that just narcissistic completely just plays into the delusion. Two weeks later, October 11th, 1969, a white male passenger entered the cab driven by Paul Stein at the intersection of Mason and Geary streets, Mm -hmm. one block west from Union Square in San Francisco, requesting to be taken to Washington and Maple Streets in Presidio Heights. Yeah, Presidio. Yeah. For reasons unknown, Stein drove one block past Maple to Cherry Street. The passenger then shot Stein once in the head with a 9mm, took his wallet and car keys, tore away a section of Stein's bloodstained shirt tail. This passenger was observed by three teenagers across the street at 9.59, I'm sorry, 9.55pm, who called the police while the crime was in progress. They observed a man wiping the cab down before walking away towards the Presidio, one block to the north. Two blocks from the crime scene, patrol officer Don... Falk and Eric Zelms, responding to the call, observed a white man walking along the sidewalk east on Jackson Street, stepping onto a stairway leading up to the front yard of the homes on the north side of the street. The encounter only lasted 5 to 10 seconds. Falk estimated the white male pedestrian to be 35 to 45 years old, 5'10", and with a crew-cut hair. Somewhat similar but slightly older than the description of the teenagers who observed the killer in and out of Stein's cab, as a 25 to 30 year old crew cut white male about 5'8 to 5'9, the police radio dispatcher had, however, initially alerted officers to be on the outlook, I'm sorry, to be on the lookout for a black suspect, so Falk and Zalms drove past him without stopping. The mix up in descriptions remains unexplained. A search ensued, but no suspects were found. This was the last officially confirmed kill by the Zodiac Killer. This is something that never. I never understood when I mean, they were like, it's a white man. And then they were like, look for a black man. I'm like, the teenagers said it was a white man. It was, I mean, you, you don't even. Oh my God. Like, I don't understand. Who even knows? I, I can't even, I, I don't even know what I would point that to or what I would even say that is when you're not going to mix up one or the other. Especially and when they said it was a white man. Witnesses say directly we know we saw a white man it was a white man it was a white man is it a white man was it a white man are you sure it was a white man it was a white man oh hey guys be on the lookout for a black man yeah bitch they said white man 
<laughs> so who knows? Yeah, that was just, that was ridiculous. I thought the exact same thing. The Stein murder was initially thought to be routine, routine cabbie killing a robbery that has escalated. However, quickly on October 13th, the San Francisco Chronicle received a new letter from Zodiac containing a piece of bloody shirt and taking credit for the killing. The three teen witnesses worked with the police artist to prepare a composite schedule schedule sketch of Stein's killer a few days oh. later. The police artist returned and he was white. The yep. police artist returned. Um oh shit. <laughs> working with the witnesses to prepare a second composite sketch of the killer. Detectives Bill Armstrong and Dave Toshi were assigned to the case. The San Francisco Police Department investigated an estimated 2,500 suspects over a period of years. And I think the, so that sketch, the more famous sketch that we have that we posted, that's on the Wikipedia of the horn rim glasses and the crew cut, that's, that's the composite sketch that they end up getting from that specific case that's matched other descriptions as well. So of their various suspects they've had over the years. I actually took a look at this, like a cipher, one of the ciphers. And I was like trying to think of different ways to figure it out. Yeah. Cause I actually really like, um, I've done those like crypto quips in the newspaper, like where it's different letters that you have to like, like say an R an R is technically an E, so then you have to, like, try to figure out what the rest of that sentence is based on, like, what you could say each of these letters represent a different letter. But, um, and this goes more into, this will go more into, um, I think it was called Search or Hunt for the Zodiac. It was a uh, 2017 um, history channel documentary that I happened to catch on Amazon prime that went into detail about the ciphers themselves and even other suspects involved with the Zodiac killings. And I know one of the biggest things that they pointed to, which this was something that Robert Graysmith, who wrote the, the book Zodiac that was ultimately turned into the David Fincher film, uh, had mentioned that some of the symbols could, um, very well resemble um symbols from boy scouts and uh i think robert graysmith himself or at least this was portrayed in the movie was a cub scout so some of the symbols even look like something that that were in like uh boy boy scouts uh signatures or something that that effect um so did you did you want me to keep going or were you good or i'm okay okay um, on October 14th, so we're getting into communications from the Zodiac, so this is why we just started talking about the ciphers. Right, and kind of where Robert Graysmith's right. character comes into play. On October 14th, 1969, the Chronicle received another letter from the Zodiac, this time containing a swatch of Paul Stein's shirt tail as proof he was the killer. It also included a threat about killing school children on a school bus. To do this, Zodiac wrote, just shoot out the front tire, then pick off the kitties as they come bouncing out. At 2 p.m. on October 20th, 1969, someone claiming to be the Zodiac called the Oakland Police Department, demanding that one of two prominent lawyers, F. Lee Bailey or Melvin Belly, appear on the local television show AM San Francisco, hosted by Jim Dunbar. 
Bailey was not available, but Belly did appear on the show. Dunbar appealed to the viewers to keep the lines open, and eventually someone claiming to be the Zodiac called several times and said his name was Sam. Belly d- agreed to meet with him in Daly City, Daly City, but the suspect never showed up. On November 8, 1969, the Zodiac mailed a card with another cryptogram consisting of 340 characters. The 340 character cipher has never been decoded. Numerous possible solutions have been suggested, but none can be claimed as definitive. On November 9, 1969, the Zodiac mailed a seven-page letter stating that two policemen stopped and actually spoke with him three minutes after he shot Stein. Excerpts from the letter were published on the Chronicle on November 12th, including the Zodiac's claim. That same day, Officer Don Falk wrote a memo explaining what had happened the night of Stein's murder. On December 20th, 1969, exactly one year after the murders of David Faraday and Betty Jensen, the Zodiac mailed a letter to Belly that included another swatch of Stein's shirt. The Zodiac said he wanted Belly to help him. (laughs) So literally a month after he committed more murders. Like, let me just keep taunting you and taunting you and taunting you in every way that I can. I'm gonna let you. My voice is getting. I need some water. Is it like? Is it stopping? <laughs> so, um, we're moving into the Modesto attack, and this is the one with the um woman and her and her infant daughter. Uh, this was on the night of March twenty second, nineteen seventy, where Kathleen Johns was driving from San Bernardino to Petaluma to visit her mother with her ten month old daughter, and she was also seven months pregnant at the time. She was heading west on Highway one thirty two near Modesto. When a car behind her began honking its horn and flashing its light, she pulled over. The man parked his car behind her, approached hers, and stated that her right rear wheel was wobbling and offered to tighten the lug nuts. He did so, drove off, yet when she pulled forward to reenter the highway, um, in the movie it looked like she drove a little bit, but it's stating here that as soon as she went to go pull off, the wheel almost completely came off the car. Uh, The same man came back and offered to drive her and her daughter to a nearby gas station. When she got in the car, they passed by several surface stations, yet he didn't stop. Um, He drove for about 90 minutes back and forth around back roads uh, near Tracy, California. When she asked why he wasn't stopping, he would change the subject. Then he finally stopped at an intersection. Um, She ultimately jumped out with her daughter Uh, hid her daughter in a field, and then she hid in another part of the field. She claimed that the driver searched for her using a flashlight, uh, yelling along the way that he would not hurt her before he eventually gave up and drove off. Um, She uh, was able to flag down people and hitch a ride to the police station and Patterson her along with her daughter. Uh, She gave a statement to the sergeant, uh, noticed that the composite sketch of Paul Stein's killer uh, to be recognized as the same man that abducted her and her child. She feared that he would come back to kill them, so the sergeant had her wait in the dark at a nearby uh, restaurant, Mills Restaurant. When her car was found, it was gutted and torched. Most accounts say that he threatened to kill her and her daughter, but at least one police report disputed that. Her account to Paul Avery of the Chronicle indicates that her abductor left his car and searched for her in the dark with a flashlight, However, in one report made to the police, she stated that he never left his vehicle. Um, So in the movie, it was never portrayed that he left his vehicle, but it was portrayed, like we mentioned, that he said he was going to kill her and then throw her baby out the window. So that's when he 
that's when she decided she had to get out. And when he did stop for that brief moment, she grabbed her baby and jumped out. Um, so these are discussing further communications with Zodiac, where he continued to communicate with authorities throughout the remainder of 1970 through letters and greeting cards. Um, postmarked on April 20th of 1970, he wrote, my name is blank, followed by a 13 character cipher. Um, he went on to state that he was not responsible for the recent bombing of a police station in San Francisco, and this was referring to a February 18th bombing that left dead Sergeant Brian McConnell um, two days after a bombing at Park Station in Golden Gate Park. But he did happen to say there was more glory to killing a cop uh, because killing because a cop can shoot back. The letter included a diagram of a bomb the Zodiac claimed he would use to blow up a school bus. At the bottom of the diagram, he wrote his little symbol equals 10 SFPD zero, referring to the San Francisco Police Department. Zodiac sent a greeting card postmarked April 28th of 1970 to the Chronicle, stating, I hope you enjoy yourselves when I have my blast, followed by his cross circle signature. On the back of the card, he threatened to use the bus bomb soon unless the newspaper published full details of what he wrote and he also wanted to start seeing people wearing his zodiac buttons um distinctly remember this being mentioned in the movie as well in a letter postmark on june 26 1970 zodiac stated that he was upset that he did not see people wearing his buttons and he wrote that he shot a man sitting in a parked car with a 38 this was possibly referring to sergeant richard raddick who was shot a week earlier on June 19th. At 5.25, Raddick was riding a parking ticket in his squad car when the assailant with a 38 pistol shot him in the head and he died 15 hours later. SFPD completely denies the Zodiac was involved and it still remains to this day unsolved. Included with the letter was a Phillips 66 roadmap of the San Francisco Bay Area. The image of Mount Diablo, the Zodiac had drawn a cross circle similar to the ones he included in previous letters. At the top of the cross circle, he placed a zero, then a three, six, and a nine. The accompanying instructions stated that the zero was to be set to mag in or mag north. The letter also included 32 letter cipher that the killer claimed in conjunction with the code led to the location of a bomb that he had buried that was set to go off. This cipher was never ultimately decoded. The alleged bomb was never located. And in this sign note, he had his symbol equaling 12 and now the SFPD equaling zero. So still very narcissistic, keeping count, taunting the police and whatnot. In another letter sent to the Chronicle on July 24th of the same year, the Zodiac took credit for Kathleen John's abduction, um, her and her baby four months prior to the incident. Uh, July 26th, Zodiac paraphrased a song from the Mikado, adding his own lyrics about making a little list of the ways he planned to torture his slaves in paradise. The letter was signed again, exaggerated cross symbol with a new score of 13 to the SFPD zero and a final note at the bottom of the letter stating PS the Mount Diablo code concerns radians plus a number of inches along the radians and 81 a close examination of the radian hint by Zodiac researcher Gareth Penn led to the discovery of a radian angle with when placed over the map pointed to the exact locations of two Zodiac attacks on October 17th I'm sorry, 7th of 1970, the Chronicle received a three by five inch card signed with his signature cross mark and a small cross reportedly drawn in blood. The cards matches which formed by passing words and letters 
uh, from an edition of the Chronicle and 13 holes punched across the card. Inspectors Armstrong and Tashi agreed with a high probability that this came from the Zodiac. On October 27th of 1970, Paul Avery, who had been covering the Zodiac case pretty extensively, I think by this time since 1968, again, he was played by the amazing Robert Downey Jr. in the movie. He received a Halloween card signed with a Z and Zodiac's cross symbol, handwritten, was the note, Peekaboo, you are doomed. The threat was taken seriously and received front page on the Chronicle. Soon after receiving the letter, Avery received an anonymous letter alerting him to sim similarities between Zodiac's activities and the unsolved murders of Sherry Bates, which had occurred four years earlier uh, at the City College in Riverside in the greater LA area, more than 400 miles south of San Francisco. He reported these findings to the Chronicle on November 16th. Um, now, going back to 1966, in that Riverside attack, Sherry Jo Bates, who was a community college student at the time, spent her evening at the library, which had closed at 9 p.m. Neighbors reported hearing screaming around 10.30. Uh, Bates was found dead the next morning, a short distance from the library between two abandoned houses that were slated for demolition. The wires in her Volkswagen distributor cap had been completely pulled out. She was brutally beaten and stabbed to death, and a man's Timex watch was left nearby. The watch had stopped at 1224 for some reason, but police believe that the attack had happened earlier. Again, 1030 was around the time that neighbors were hearing screams. A month later, on November 29th, nearly identical typewritten letters were mailed to Riverside Police and the Riverside Press titled The Confession. The author claimed responsibility for the Bates murder, providing details that were not released to the public. The author warned that Bates is not the first and will certainly not be the last. In December of 66, a poem was discovered carved into the bottom side of the desktop in the Riverside City College Library titled Sick of li Living and Unwilling to Die. The language and handwriting resembled Zodiac's letters. It was signed with what some assumed were the letters R.H. During the 1970 investigation, Sherwood Morrill, a, uh, a top California question documents examiner, stated in his opinion that the poem itself was written by Zodiac. On April 30th of 1967, exactly six months after Bates' murder, her father, Joseph, the press enterprise and Riverside police all received nearly identical letters. In handwritten scrawl, the press enterprise and the police copies read, Bates had to die, there will be more, with a small scribble at the bottom resembling the letter Z. Joseph Bates' copy said that she had to die, there will be more, this time without the Z signature. On March 13th of 1971, five months after Avery's article linked Zodiac to the Riverside murder, Zodiac mailed a letter to the LA Times. In this letter, he credited the police instead of Avery for discovering the Riverside activity, but they are only finding the easy ones. There's a hell of a lot more down there. Again, he originally stated that he murdered 37, so who fucking knows? The connection between Sherry Joe, the Riverside, and Zodiac all remains uncertain. Paul Avery and the Riverside police maintain that the Bates homicide was not committed by Zodiac, but some did concede that some of the Bates letters may have been his work to claim the credit falsely. So who knows if it was him, a copycat, 
that specific murder was completely unsubstantiated. Um, this was one that happened some years later in 1971. So kind of getting back into that timeline after 1968 with Zodiac. Um, in March, a postcard to the Chronicle specifically addressed Paul Avery, believed to be from Zodiac, appeared to claim responsibility for the disappearance of Donna Lass on September 6th of 1970. It was a collage of advertisements and magazine letters featuring scenes from an advertisement from Forest Pines condos and the text Sierra Club and sought victim 12 peek through the pines past Lake Taco hair taco. <laughs> you straight up just said taco. And I want a taco now. Ooh, Taco Bell After sounds I just had really wings. good. And you showed me that video. Now I can't stop. I can eat it all when it comes to I fast food. I wasn't even thinking about it. Because we were fucking making wings. And then I saw him buying that taco and I was like, damn. It's been a while since I've I haven't had Taco tacos. Bell in a while. That sounds real good, y'all. Everyone's about it's pausing literally. this right now, and they're like, you know what? Fucking Taco we Bell, had man. We've had before. We've had a Taco Bell. Why has there like, always been a fucking Taco Bell moment? Like, for some reason in the middle of the podcast. Because Taco Bell. <laughs> if you haven't had Taco Bell, you haven't lived. Also, we drank wine, and when I, for some reason, alcohol makes me crave Taco Bell. I don't it's know. It's salt. <laughs> it's something like something about tacos. Anything that's like incredibly salty when you've had alcohol. Just I'm always amazing. salty. No. Um, <laughs> we're like reading this terrible thing and we're like tacos. We're like tacos. No, it's actually Lake Tahoe. I am so sorry. To um, someone needs to name Tahoe. a Lake Taco. <laughs> like, can we get a Taco Bell next to a Lake Taco, please? And it just runs forever full of tacos. I'm so sorry for the people that live in Lake Tahoe. It's getting to the point where taco's not sounding like a word. Like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Yo quiero Taco Bell. So apparently the Forest Pines (laughs) condos were in the Lake Tahoe area. And um, also included in this letter said around the snow. Uh, Again, he left his cross circle symbol uh, and there was an unusual return address at the lower right section of the front face of the uh, postcard. Last was a nurse at the Sahara Tahoe Hotel and Casino. She worked until about 2 a.m. on September 6, 1970, treating her last patient at 1.40. Later that day, both Lass's employer and her landlord received phone calls from an unknown male falsely claiming that she had left town due to an emergency. She was Her body was never found. What appeared to be a grave site was discovered near the Claire Tappan Lodge in Northern California, on Sierra Club property, but an excavation yielded only a pair of sunglasses, which I'm guessing were hers. No evidence was ever uncovered to connect Lass's disappearance with Zodiac. Um, In the Vallejo Times Herald story... (laughs) The Vallejo Times. The Vallejo Times. I got so emotional I couldn't get air. On November 13th of 1972... Um, in that, Bill Baker of the Santa Barbara County Sheriff's Office postulated that the murders of a young couple in the Santa Barbara area might have been the work of Zodiac. 
Uh, this was on June 4th of 1963. High school senior Robert Domingos, we mentioned these crimes earlier, and fiance Linda Edwards were shot dead on a beach near Lompoc. They skipped school on senior skip day, and police believe that the assailant attempted to bind the victims, but they freed themselves and attempted to flee so the killer shot them repeatedly in the back and in the chest with a 22 caliber uh, handgun. The killer then placed their bodies in a small shack and then tried unsuccessfully to burn the structure to the ground. Um, that was something I also remember that was mentioned in the movie. So since these crimes were committed in 1963, they were trying to connect them to the 1968 mur or 1969 murders with at the beach where in the... In, these original murders, even though he bind, binded the couple in the same way, he didn't check the knots or check the binds to see if they were latched properly and they were able to flee and get away. So he had to shoot them so sloppily. Whereas in the couple on the beach, he made sure that even though he had her tie, tie each other up, that he went back and he checked the knots to make sure that they were secure because he's like, okay, I'm not going to fuck up like I did the first one and have them get away again because that was sloppily done that I had to shoot them. Um, so I do remember that in the movie of the reason why they tried to connect the 1963 murder to, to the other murder, um, even though the 1963 mur murder wasn't definitive. So the initial final letter after the Pines card um, was sent on January 29th, 1974. And this was after Zodiac remained silent for up to three years. This was received by the Chronicle and it praised the movie The Exorcist as being the best satirical comedy that he had ever seen. So I think he watched a totally different movie than everybody else did. Um, Y'all know how I feel about that movie. Yeah, we know. So um, I again, I think he watched a totally different copy than everybody else saw. Uh, the Although letter the show is phenomenal. Also included. Maybe he watched the show. I still wouldn't call it a comedy though. But it's not a comedy. <laughs> no. Comedy. <laughs> so again, the letter, um, like we mentioned before, included a snippet of the verse from the Mikado. An unusual symbol at the bottom that still remains unexplained by the researchers. And this is when Zodiac included a new score of himself at 37 and the SFPD at zero. So this is that last letter where he had claimed up to 37 victims. Um, a further communication sent by the public to members of the news media. Some contain similar characteristics of previous Zodiac writings. The Chronicle uh, had a letter postmarked on February 14th of 1974 that informed the editor that the initials of the Sebanese Liberation Army spelled out the old Norse word for kill. However, the handwriting was not authenticated as the Zodiacs. Another letter to the Chronicle postmarked on May 8th, 1974 featured a complaint that the movie The Badlands was murder glorification and asked the paper cut its advertisements. Signed only a citizen, this handwriting tone and surface irony were all similar to Zodiac. Then the Chronicle subsequently received an anonymous letter postmark on July 8th of that same year complaining of their publishings of the writing of the anti-feminist columnist Marco Spinelli. Um, and that letter was signed the Red Phantom or the Red with Rage. Zodiac's authorship of this letter has since been debated. Um, another letter dated April 24th, 1978, was initially deemed authentic, but was later declared a hoax. 
This was less than three months later by three different experts. David Tashi, the SFPD homicide detective who had worked on the case since the signed murder, was thought to have forged the letter because author Armistead Maupin believed the letter to be similar to fan mail he received in 1976, which he believed was authored by Tashi. While he admitted to writing the fan mail, Tashi denied forging the Zodiac letter and was initially cleared of any charges. The authenticity of that letter still remains unverified. So that was another thing that led to some misinformation about Tashi involved ultimately in the Zodiac case was that maybe he was the one that was writing the letters, like not necessarily the killer himself, but initially the one writing the letters in order to gain more popularity or uh, notoriety to the case. Um, but the only thing that he was actually found guilty of and admitted to were these supposed fan letters that he had wrote, uh, which really wasn't so much giving the Zodiac a lot of fanfare, but was kind of giving Tashi more attention to his part in the case than anything. <laughs> yeah, he was writing himself fan mail. Who does, Who hasn't done that? I know, right? Like, <laughs> like oh I just, my God, look at I just my need to feel letters. better about myself. I need to feel better about myself. I don't want to write letters to myself because I'd Absolutely be like, I'm so fucking sick of writing fucking... this shit. Like, oh my God. I don't really need these to tell me that I'm popular. So many letters for no reason. For no reason. You just wasted so... all of that energy for nothing. Ooh. So moving so many years later um, into 2007, <clears throat> this was on March 3rd, an American Greetings Christmas card was sent to the Chronicle that happened to be postmarked all the way back to 1990 in Eureka that had recently been discovered in photo files by an editorial assistant by the name of Daniel King. Inside the envelope with the card was a photocopy of two U.S. postal keys on a magnet keychain. The handwriting on the envelope resembles Zodiac's print, but was declared inauthentic by forensic document examiner Lloyd Cunningham. However, not all Zodiac experts agreed with Cunningham's analysis. There is no return address on the envelope, nor has his cross-circle signature ever been found. The card itself was unmarked. The Chronicle turned over all material to the Vallejo Police Department for further analysis. Um, and nothing as of yet from the Vallejo Police Department has been um, reported involving that letter or that um, copy. So um, this is kind of going into current status of investigations, and this will lead more into... Um, Suspects. Yeah, because this is kind of crazy. Because one that they had most definitively was the one that was mentioned more in the movie that Robert Graysmith was starting himself to, to investigate. So as of April 20, April 2004, the uh, San Francisco Police Department marked their case inactive, citing a caseload pressure, resource demands, um, and then they ended up closing the case effectively. But in March of 2007, they somehow reopened the case, and that was never really investigated as to why. Nobody knows if it was social pressure, public pressure, pressure from... Um, families that were still involved in families of the victims that were still involved in the case, rather. Um, so we can all agree that they were under pressure. Pressure! 
Oh, sorry. So the case um, in Napa County and Riverside still remained open. Now, this is very interesting. Um, in May of 2018, okay, so going back into the Vallejo Police Department, um, in 2018, they announced plans to submit evidence into possession for up-to-date DNA testing. Um, now, all of this came about, um, if you guys remember when the Golden State Killer um, investigation started that came from DNA testing that they ultimately, after I think it was like 40 years, were able to solve the cases um, due to... And there's been other crimes that have been subsequently solved and and uh, resolved since then due to like 23andMe and Ancestry.com, where people are submitting their own DNA and it inadvertently having a match to someone who was linked to series of crimes that remain unsolved. Um, so this was stamps that they actually had during the correspondence that he had sent over many, many years that they were trying to get DNA analysis from. By May of 2018, Vallejo police um, said that the results would take several weeks, but by December of last year, there was still no results to have been reported. Well, I'm going to need those results. I mean, you guys have had since 2018. It was announced back in May of 2018. and You got us all fucking excited. And you then said it was, was going to take weeks, and then, like, now we have nothing. Now it's hitting, it's going to hit years. It's been 84, 84 years. Yes. And we're still waiting on the stamp DNA. Well, what's what's been the most definitive thing about the stamp DNA in itself is that um, one of the big, so we'll get into a little bit of the suspects, but one suspect I really want to really focus on the most because he was the biggest focus in the Zodiac movie and, um, Robert Graysmith's, uh, investigation was a man by the name of Arthur Lee Allen. I mean, you know, I kind of suspect this dude, I ain't going to lie. So his timeline's a little too perfect. There was just a lot. Way too circumstantial. Matched, that just matched up. Um. So we'll go, we'll just, we'll just start from the beginning with him. Um, Do you want me to read now? You've been reading for a while. Yeah, if you want to. <laughs> really quickly though, I was going to say there's been something that's been unsubstantiated with reports about um, specifically the stamps and the correspondence of Zodiac in relation to Arthur Lee Allen. There have been reports that have come out that Arthur Lee Allen did not uh, there, there's been no DNA evidence that's directly linked him to the crimes. And there's been some reports that stated that even though they've been trying to test his DNA with these stamps, some people reported that Arthur Lee Allen never licked the back of stamps so that they may not be able to get any of his DNA on the stamps themselves since they weren't able to get any of his DNA from the other correspondence, like as far as the letters themselves. So. Well, if they can't do that, then they ain't going to pin this bitch. And the guy's... And he's... he's since he dead. has died. Yeah, he has <laughs> since died. So yeah, if you want to get into um, Arthur Lee Allen, read about him, because that's... He was pretty much the top suspect that they had, and then do I'll go into the other... Do you think that they had John Carroll Lynch play him? Because they all have... They both have three names. Well, and he looked, when I, when I looked up a picture of him, he looked, I'll tell you right now, that movie nailed the characters as far as yeah. the actors to how they looked like him. And John Carroll Lynch looked a lot like this guy that, that fit 
really, really well. Y'all, these are the same people that casted for Mindhunter. Yep. <laughs> Incredible show. Robert Graysmith's book, which actually, by the way, season three has been put on hold indefinitely, so I've heard. David Fincher is working on two different television shows right now for Netflix. So all of the character, all of the actors from the Mindhunter show have been let out of their contracts to pursue other interests because as of right now, season three is on hold. Um, <laughs> David Fincher still wants to do it, obviously, but there are other projects that he's been tied to with Netflix. So he didn't want to keep everybody from working, which is... You know, it's fucking appreciate that shit, and we appreciate it, but we don't appreciate it. And the way they left off on season two, the fuck, y'all need to give me a season three, like right now. Even if he motherfucking has to sing like just fucking Kristoff, I'll have a Kristoff. You cannot leave off season two the way they did and not give us a freaking put Kristen Bell and Adele Dazim in it. I'll fucking watch it. I don't care. Even if it's a fucking musical. I really like Adele Dazeem. Just please don't, please don't put her in there. That's fine. Just don't leave me hanging. I love Adele Dazeem. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Robert Graysmith's book Zodiac advanced Arthur Lee Allen as potential, I can't read, as a potential suspect based on circumstantial evidence. Allen had been interviewed by police from the early days of the Zodiac investigations and was the subject of several search warrants over a 20-year period. In 2007, Graysmith noted that several police detectives described Allen as the most likely suspect. However, in 2010, Tashi stated all the evidence against Allen ultimately turned out to be negative. On October 6th... I'm so sorry. Hope we're not boring you. <laughs> On October 6, 1969, Allen was interviewed by Detective John Lynch of the Vallejo Police Department. Allen had been reported in the vicinity of the Lake Baressa attack against Hartnell and Shepard. On September 27, 1969, he described himself scuba diving at Salt Point on the day of the attacks. Allen again came to police attention in 71 when his friend Donald Ch- Cheney reported to police in Manhattan Beach, California, that Allen had spoken of his desire to kill people, use the name Zodiac, and secure a flashlight to a firearm for visibility at night. According to Cheney, this conversation occurred no later than January 1st, 1969. Jack Mullinax of the Vallejo Police Department subsequently wrote Allen had received an other-than-honorable discharge from the U.S. Navy in 58 and had been fired from his job as an elementary school teacher in March 68 after allegations of sexual misconduct with students. Students. He was darn students. Scoot boot scoot and boogie. I'm sorry. (laughs) She's like, I'm so sorry. He was generally, I think I know why you said California now when we were talking about where Call of Chucky was filmed. Oh, because this is all of California. It's, I totally, I said, I Amsterdam, meant, California. I was like, no. <laughs> I'm not good at geology. Like, at all. Yes, I know it's geography. <laughs> and he, I clearly meant to say Canada and not California. And I was like, no. You did. He did. And that's where it started. He was generally well regarded by those who knew him, but he was also described as fixated on young children and angry at women. He apparently never had a girlfriend or wife. I know somebody like that. 
in September. <laughs> maybe, maybe I should report. Uh, you know. In September, in September, in September, 72 San Francisco police obtained a search warrant for Allen's residence. In 74, Allen was arrested for committing lewd, I was said laud. <laughs> laud doing them lewd sex I'm going to fucking Not hell. at all that this is funny. No, is it's not. It's just awful. He can't not read this it. This guy was a fucking pedophile whether yeah. or not he was the Zodiac killer. So. Yeah, seriously. Like, this dude's fucked up whether or not yeah, he was the Zodiac whether, killer. Whether or not. 74, so. Ellen was arrested for committing lewd sex. I'm sorry. I'm laughing because I said laud. I'm not laughing at what's And now you can't. Stop. I just want to make sure you know I'm not laughing at what I'm reading because no. I'm like, Lord. Totally understand. Totally got it. Lewd sex acts upon a 12-year-old boy. He pleaded guilty and served two years. Nasty ass. Yeah. Vallejo police served another search warrant at Allen's residence in February 91. Two days after Allen's death in 92, Vallejo police served another warrant and seized property from Allen's residence. Other evidence... Existed against Allen, albeit it's entirely circumstantial. A letter sent to the Riverside Police Department from Bates Killer was typed with a royal typewriter with an elite type. The same brand found during the February 91 search of his residence. He owned and wore a Zodiac brand which wristwatch. He lived in Vallejo and worked minutes away from where one of the Zodiac victims, Farron, lived and where one of the killings took place. In 2002, SFPD developed a partial DNA profile from the saliva on the stamps and envelopes of Zodiac's letters. SFPD compared this partial DNA to the DNA of Arthur Lee Allen. A DNA comparison was also made with the DNA of Don Chaney, who is Allen's former close friend and the first person to suggest Allen may be the Zodiac killer. Since neither test resulted in result indicated a match, Allen and Chaney were excluded as the contributors of the DNA. Though it cannot be stated definitively that it is DNA from the Zodiac on the envelopes. However, as of March 18, it was announced that the 2002 DNA sample was collected from outside the stamp rather than behind it or from the envelope seal, meaning Allen could still be a suspect. Retired police handwriting expert Lloyd Cunningham, who worked on the Zodiac case for decades, added, They gave me banana boxes full of Allen's writing and none of his writing even came close to the Zodiac. Nor did the DNA extracted from the envelopes on the Zodiac letters come close to Arthur Lee Allen. While police often use document examiners during investigations, court rulings on the scientific validity of handwriting analysis have been mixed to negative. <clears throat> so at the end of the movie, um, it was the it was Magu, the guy who in '69 was shot in the face um, in the car, who ultimately lived. He was the one. Um, that possibly identified uh, Arthur Lee Allen as being the Zodiac killer. He was fairly sure from what he said, and that was when an, another search warrant was executed. And and then I think according to the movie, it was like three days later or something that Arthur Lee Allen had died. And I believe they said it was of a heart attack. Yeah, they said they were. They had set up an interview with him, and literally before they did the interview, he died of a heart attack. Yeah, and I I think a lot of that just could have been due to stress because even though there were so many things pointing to him being the killer, there was just a lot of 
or ultimately it was a lot of circumstantial evidence. They really did not have enough evidence to uh, convict him. Convict him. Um, and then again, going back to circumstantial evidence, this goes into a guy named Ross Sullivan. Um, and uh, his name was not mentioned, like I said earlier in Wikipedia, uh, but on a show called The Hunt for Zodiac Killer that was on the History Channel that I happened to catch. Um, and he threw out several episodes. I think the show was like a five or six part episodes, episode show segment. And I think throughout at least three or four of the episodes, Ross Sullivan was really close to being what, what they believed, um, a pretty substantial suspect to the Zodiac killings. Um, and part of the reason why was that he was a student at Riverside College during the time that Sherry Jo Bates was killed in 1966 of Riverside, California, in the same manners that were similar to Zodiac, even though um, she ultimately was one of the ones that uh, wasn't uh, positively identified as one of the killers of Zodiac, but she was a suspected murder victim of Zodiac. So the timeline just matched up if that happened to be him. Um, and then there were other details that Bates killer had stalked her, disabled her car, used a knife in the weapon, knife as a weapon, wore military boots. Um, and that was another thing that linked back to, uh, Ross Sullivan was that he wore military boots, um, and, and things of that nature, again, could all be completely circumstantial, but, you know, would, would ultimately fit the description in, in other ways. Um, so it said here that the Riverside Police Department had kept the name of the prime, subs, prime suspect in Bates' murder under wraps and did not immediately return requests for comments. Um, but uh, again, during the course of the show, the investigation turned back to Sullivan. Um, employees reported that he disappeared several days after Bates's murder that he was an unsocial man that uh, made a staff member feel uneasy and that fellow employees had openly wondered if he was a suspect in Bates's case. They also added that he wore an army jacket and military style boots, much like the footprints that were found at Bates's murder and also the Lake Baressa stabbings that were directly linked to, to Zodiac. Um, another thing that eyewitnesses said was that Sullivan's description matched uh zodiacs pretty well that he was around six feet tall about 200 pounds he had a stocky build he also wore uh the glasses and had more of like a military uh style uh haircut um and that sullivan according to an english student took classes in of all things cryptology which was something that zodiac had used for his coded letters um and then finally reportedly um, Sullivan moved to North Carolina in 19, North Carolina, Northern California in 1967, just before the official recognized Zodiac murders began. So if he would have moved to Northern California around 1967, the murders start in 1968, that would place him around the area in the same timeline. Um, so again, more information about Sullivan. He had been uh, diagnosed with bipolar disorder and schizophrenia and had been hospitalized several times throughout his early 20s. 
Um, now, as of the timing that the show had aired in 2017, his current whereabouts were unknown. He would have been born in 1941. So technically, by the time the show aired, he would have still been, he could have still been alive, but he would have been about 76 years old with at very advanced stages of his mental disorder. So who knows? Um, now, a lot of blogs speculated that Sullivan died in 1977. There on findagrave.com, there is an entry in Santa Cruz, California for a Ross M. Sullivan that died in 1977. So. Yeah, that's interesting as fuck. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of crazy because, so if you think about it, if you look back in the victim timeline, he fits the descriptions too damn well, especially with the timing of moving to Northern California right before the um, substantiated murders in 1968. So you can link him, you could possibly link him to Sherry Jo Bates all the way in 1966 because they went to the same school in the same area, even though she is only a suspected victim of Zodiac. But then three years later, or two years later rather, for him to move to Northern California right before the um, Faraday and Jensen murders, um, it could all fit in that timeline because, and then the last known murder happened in 1970, and that would have been Donna Lass. And um, even before that was the abduction of Kathleen Johns in March of 1970. So if he did die in 1977, it would make perfect sense because the murders by that time stopped in 1970. And even if you follow along with the letters, um, I think some of the last known letters were sent, what did we say, all the way up until 70... Four was it? Uno momento. <laughs> I was gonna say because there was the one found in the nineties, or I'm sorry, in two thousands, but it was dated back to nineteen ninety one. Okay, two thousand and seven, but it was dated back to nineteen ninety. Um, but who knows? That could have been. Really, the only substantiated letter was May of 1974. And then, okay, another one in June of 1974. And both of them were sent to the Chronicle. Um, the one that was in 1978 was declared a hoax. And then the one in 1990, that was found in 2007, who knows. So if the ones in 1974 were the last definitive letters, that could still place... Ross Sullivan as the killer, even if he did die in 1977. So, and the timeline's right for his age too, because in 70, like 68 to 71, he would have been in his 30s, 28, 29, 30. And they said the killer was between 25 to 35 years old, even somewhere in between 35 to 40 years old. I'd say probably close around to that 25 to 35 year old age oh, range. Yeah. Um, same height, 35 same to build. 45 looks a lot different than 25 totally to 45. Totally different. 20, what? 25 to 35. And same height, same build, same stocky build, same boots that he wore. Um, if you look up pictures of this guy, same crew cut, haircut, same, um, glasses, 
So, and those glasses were common. I will say that those glasses were common around that time, um, especially if you had been in any type of military service. They were like, mili- they were even considered like military issue horn rim glasses. But yeah, this guy just fit the description too well, too well. And uh, even though a lot of people wanted to believe and even um, Robert Graysmith himself, that it was Arthur Lee Allen. And the movie did a really good job pointing him in that direction. He didn't, I mean, he didn't wear the glasses. He was balding. He just, he, he just, he didn't really physically fit the description, even if he was tall enough or of the same weight. Um, I don't think the age fit the description well. And then again, they said that the handwriting analysis did not match. And again, if he supposedly didn't lick the back of his stamps, if the only DNA evidence that they have left that would link him to it would be DNA on the back of the stamps, that could still be circumstantial against Arthur Lee Allen. And again, he's since died. So that's well, the, other, have, that's so. the other thing about this case. If if the two main you know, let's let's just say for sake of argument that Ross Sullivan did die. There's two main uh, suspects in this case are both dead. So even then, the the crime nobody nobody's going to be held to justice for it. So, so crazy. Um, we'll get into this. This is kind of the last of it. If you wanted me to read it, a few of the other suspects involved. Sure. Um, in 2007, there was a man named Dennis Kaufman that claimed that his stepfather, Jack Terrence, was Zodiac. Kaufman turned several items over to the FBI, including a hood similar to the one worn by Zodiac. According to news sources, DNA analysis conducted by the FBI stated the items were inconclusive, and this was done in 2010. In 2009, a former lawyer named Robert Tarbox, who in August of 1975 was disbarred in California Supreme Court, for failure to pay clients, said that in the early 1970s, a merchant mariner walked into his office, confessed to being Zodiac. The seemingly lucid seaman whose... Seaman. Because <laughs> I'm a 13-year-old boy. Um, whose name Tarbox would not reveal due to confidentiality, described his crimes briefly, but pervasively enough to convince Tarbox himself. The man said he was trying to stop himself from his opportunistic murder spree, but never returned to see Tarbox again. Tarbox took out a full-page ad in the Vallejo Times that he claimed would clear the name of Arthur Lee Allen as the killer, um, his only reason for revealing the story 30 years later after the fact. Robert Graysmith said the author of several, who is the author of several books about the Zodiac, said that Tarbox's story was entirely plausible. Um, Another show from the History Channel called Mystery Quest in 2009 um, looked at a newspaper editor by the name of Richard Gowalski, who died in 2004. Um, during the time of the murders, Gowalski worked for the Good Times, a San Francisco counterculture newspaper. His appearance resembles a composite sketch, and Nancy Slover, the Vallejo police dispatcher who was contacted by the Zodiac shortly after the Blue Rock Springs attack, said, um, that she identified a recording of Gowski's voice being the same as Zodiac's. And even then, if it's him, he died in 2004. So there you go. Um, police uh, detective, uh, retired police detective Steve Hodell, who uh, famously is the son of George Hodell, who has definitively amongst most people been identified as the Black Dahlia killer, whose victim 
who alt who was Elizabeth Short. Uh, she was given the nickname Black Dahlia, and George Hodel was he was never proven, but pretty distinctively is is top suspect number one in the Black Dahlia case. His son, who was a retired police detective who did an extensive amount of research uh, pushing that his dad was the killer of Elizabeth Short, um, stated in a book that led to the release of previously suppressed files and wire recordings by the L.A. District Attorney's Office that his father, who was the prime suspect in Short's murder, um, that led to District Attorney Steve Case subsequently writing a letter which was published in a revi revised edition stating that George Hotel Hodel was still alive and could be prosecuted for the crimes. Um, now, what led to this tie-in with Zodiac was that Hodel argued that there was circumstantial evidence um, that his father was also Zodiac, and this was based on a police sketch. Uh, this was similar to a style of Zodiac letters uh, that also matched the Black Dahlia Avenger letters, even though both documents have since been questioned under examination. Um, I think this one is a stretch. If you look at the original composite sketch of Zodiac compared to what George Hodel looked like, they were totally different. And George Hodel didn't wear glasses. He had a mustache. I just, I, I don't see a lot of that fitting into that description. So I, I think that's kind of a long shot uh, thinking that George Hodel had anything to do with the Zodiac murders. But um, we will definitely one day do a Black Dahlia episode. And I, for one, definitely think George Hodel murdered her. This guy was shady as fuck. And that's a story for another day. But that's going to be a really great podcast episode that we will definitely get around to at some point. Um, in 2011, America's Most Wanted did a story about Zodiac. In 2010, a picture surfaced of a Zodiac victim, Darlene Farron, and a man who closely resembled the composite sketch. Police believe the photo was taken in San Francisco in the middle of 66 or 1967. Former California Highway Patrol officer Lyndon Lafferty said Zodiac was a 91-year-old man who lived in Solano County, California, and lived under the pseudonym George Russell Tucker. Using a group of retired law enforcement officers called the Mandamus Seven, Lafferty discovered that Tucker, um, and that he outlined an alleged cover-up uh, as to why he was not pursued. Tucker died February 2012 and was not named because he was never considered a suspect. In February of 2014, it was reported that a man named Louis Joseph Myers. Why does everybody have three names? Can you know we point that out? Do you please? know that's a signature thing with serial killers? I've have noticed you ever that. Seen that? That's Seriously. a signature thing with serial killers that they have three names. So John Carroll Lynch. Yeah, look look into that. Not I mean, he playing but... he's playing some. He's but... a very sweet man. I don't want to. I don't know. I've heard he's an ass. I don't want to do that. I I want to stay by that he's a very sweet man. Um, in I my mean, head, I've he's never a very. Met him. I don't and know. I have never either, but in my head, he's a very sweet man. So just let me live with that fantasy. Um, <laughs> Lewis Joseph Myers confessed um, to a friend in 2001 that he was the Zodiac killer after he learned that he was dying of cirrhosis. He requested that this friend, Randy Kearney or Kinney rather, go to the police after his death. Myers died in. 2002, but Kinney allegedly uh, had difficulties getting officers to cooperate and take his claims seriously. There were several potential connections between Myers and the Zodiac case. 
Myers went to the same high school as Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen, allegedly worked in the same restaurant as Darlene Farron. Myers also had access to the same military boots that were found at the Lake Barassa crime scene. Furthermore, during 71 and 73, when there were no Zodiac letters received, Myers was stationed overseas in the military. Kinney says that Myers confessed that he targeted couples because he had gone through a bad breakup with a girlfriend. While officers associated with the case were skeptical, they believed the story credible enough to investigate. Uh, Robert, here's another three name. Robert, now this is a really, really interesting story. So, um... Even though I want to get into real quick some more crazier ones that were suspected were um, uh, somebody known as the Monster of Florence. That was a serial killer in Italy between 1916 and 1985 that was left unsolved. And even Ted Kaczynski was a possible suspect at one time of being the Zodiac Killer, which definitely did not match his MO. (laughs) Um, But going back to this one, which was a really probably one of the more interesting of the cases. besides this uh, Louis Joseph Myers guy and then Ross Sullivan, was this guy by the name of Robert Ivan Nichols, a.k.a. Joseph Newton Chandler III, who was a formerly unidentified um, identity thief who committed suicide in East Lake, Ohio in July of 2002. After his death, investigators were unable to locate his family and discovered that he had stolen the identity of an eight-year-old boy who was killed in a Texas car crash in 1945. So his real name was actually, he was born Robert Ivan Nichols. So the name that he stole was the, um, Joseph, I'm sorry. The name that he stole was the, um, uh, Joseph Newton Chandler. That was the name of the little boy. The links to which Nichols went to hide his identity led to speculation that he was a violent fugitive. In late 2016, U.S. Marshals of Cleveland, Ohio, announced that forensic genealogist Dr. Colleen Fitzpatrick of Identifiers International had compared the thin, unidentified man's YSTR profile to a public genetic genealogy YSTR database to determine his possible last name was Nicholas. In 2017, Fitzpatrick, along with Dr. Margaret Press, formed the non-for-profit DNA Doe Project which revisited the case by analyzing the man's antisomal DNA using the same methodology that was used to identify uh, Deborah Jackson, which was one of Henry Lee Lucas's victims. She was alt- she was originally known as Orange Socks because that was the only clothing that she was worn at the she was found to be wearing at the time. So this same DNA evidence was used to identify her. Um, In March of 2018, the DNA Doe Project identified him ultimately as being Robert Ivan Nichols, and the U.S. Marshals Service announced the ID at a press conference in Cleveland in June of 2018. Authorities had believed that he was a fugitive of some kind. There were many theories as to what he would have been running from, but none of them were confirmed. So this is what led into the Zodiac. Some internet sleuths suggested that he might have been Zodiac as he resembled police sketches of Zodiac and had lived in California at the time the Zodiac operated. Other theories was that he was Stephen Campbell, an engineer from Cheyenne, Wyoming, wanted for attempted murder. Authorities also consider that he could have been a German soldier or Nazi official of World War II who had escaped to the U.S., which is hard for me to believe. Um, He was... 
I mean, I don't, he was born in 1926, so that would have been kind of late um, for the night. I mean, he yeah, because that's the same. That's like been one his, year after my grandma was born, and my grandma is now 94. He would have been in his <laughs> teens, if not early 20s, if he would have been linked to being a Nazi officer. But if he was born in 1926, he would have been in his early 40s, late 30s to link him to oh, the Zodiac okay. murder. So again, that would have gone back to that. So they still, if we want to give it an age range, we could say 25 to 45. <laughs> I because mean, even a guy, a Because even a guy in his late 30s, early 40s without facial hair could still look fairly young. And if he was wearing the same glasses... Um, his height was, uh, given as five, seven, you know, Zodiac was kind of measured between five, seven to five, 10, some reports five, 11. So either way, this guy died in 2002. So all of these people that were suspected of even being Zodiac have all since passed away. So it's kind of one of those things that even if DNA analysis ultimately links them through these letters, the stamps or what have you anybody that was suspected of being the murderer has since died. So that's the thing that sucks the most about this case, because there's, even if they get a name, nobody is held to justice. And this entire crime has gone unsolved for almost 50 years. And we still don't know. Who are you? (laughs) I really want to know. Oh, wow. I'm sorry. That That was was a lot. We really want to know, but it's not that bad. (laughs) I really want to. Oh, goodness gracious. That was a lot of information. Oh, my God. It was so much information. But we hope you guys um, enjoyed that. I mean, I know that was a rough one. Um, But Zodiac is one Go watch Zodiac, too. Please watch the movie. It came out in 2007. Again, like we said, Jake Gyllenhaal's in it. Uh, I completely forgot. Robert so, Downey Jr. Zoe Clevenier was in it. Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. Exactly. Hey, do you guys like um, Chloe? Or I've said it right. <laughs> you said it right that time. Chloe Clevenier. Um, Mark Ruffalo's in it. Um, John Carroll Lynch. Again, like we mentioned, it Jake is Gyllenhaal, such a great. Chloe Sevigny. Let me. It's such a great movie. It's a great movie. Again, David Fincher's phenomenal. Um, and it was pretty much like his first foray, I think, into any type of murder mystery or, uh, I'm still just so floored and wowed by how accurate it is. Like, really? If you go through, we went through the case files pretty well from start to finished and the ones that were substantiated as being Zodiac crimes, like one that, ones that he specifically in letters and the cipher that was uh that was solved uh the ones that were directly linked to him and the ones that were suspected linked to him and the timeline follows along pretty damn well in the movie and you know Robert Graysmith did a phenomenal job to to literally start off as somebody that was a political cartoonist that got so involved in these murders that he completely abandoned his original passion project to write all of these books and just completely immerse his life into just gung-ho I'm gonna find out who Zodiac is but you did see in the movie the tale that that took it 
Chloe 78 plays his wife. He actually went through two failed marriages in his quest to try to find Zodiac, um, but did a lot of definitive research, even more than the police department had through just his own guerrilla tactics and just, and just not giving up and working with the police department and the, and the newspapers as much as he possibly could. And again, you know, this is during a time that we mentioned even early on in one of our very early episodes about Ted Bundy, that a lot of not only states, but even counties at the time, especially in the sixties and seventies really didn't have, excuse me, any way of, working together or communicating together through through separate channels it's not like now where everything's interconnected and they can get online well, the internet, and do it that the internet's way. The internet, a big thing. the internet's connected everybody and it's definitely connected police departments across uh the country that's but... why there aren't many serial killers now because you can't get away with that much now there ain't no way in hell you cannot cover your tracks like you could then I mean, you could probably kill a person or two and get away with it, but, like, if you're starting to hit five, six, seven, like, there's no way. Yeah, I mean, of of the ones that were substantiated by Zodiac, it was more than three. Um, You know, you get into Ted Bundy's numbers, that's getting in the 30s, and if you start, and, and if you believe what Zodiac stated himself, it was up to 37 if he actually left California and there was that one murder in Nevada, if that all tied together. Um Again, county to county, city to city, state to state, none of these police departments communicated with each other in any way, shape, or form. So it was very, very easy to mark your tracks and get away with it. Because by the time one police department linked it to another police department, it was too late. And he was still, you know, moving all around the map and going wherever, picking off victims. Um, Also, this is super unrelated to... Zodiac, but if you guys have not seen Clove Hitch Killer, um, it is a very direct relation to the BTK Killer, and it's an amazing movie. Amazing mm. movie. Which is actually funny, because I watched it, and I kept telling my roommate, I'm like, this has got to be BTK. Yeah. Because I'm like, the things that he are, he is, he are doing... I'm like, the things that he is doing is literally BTK. And then when I read up on it, I was like, yeah, oh, yeah, movie, this, yeah. this is literally written off of BTK. Yeah, it was supposed to be directly. Yeah. So that would be another one. We've done a BTK episode. If you guys have not listened to that one, please listen to that one. Um, we, but again, like, we hope you guys found this intriguing. Please watch the movie. Um, these These true crime ones are always crazy. But this is one that... Yeah, I, I, man, I wanted to do this one for a while, especially since we have literally no idea. Um, and I like, I liked the fact that even though I, don't, I definitely don't think he was involved with Zodiac in any way. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Okay, got it? <laughs> even though I think it's a long shot that he was involved in Zodiac in a different way, um, I like that we got a chance to mention George Hodel because I cannot wait to do a Black Dahlia episode Again, another crime that is unsolved that we still to this day have no idea who did it. That crime was insane, but I'm telling you, all signs point to George Hodel, and I cannot wait to do an episode about that, so. We should just take an entire month for H.H. Holmes. I feel like H.H. Holmes is going to be like... That's going to be the episode... That's going to take at least two episodes. That's going to be an episode that's going to top all episodes. Like, Black Dahlia probably shouldn't take too long, because... 
even though people are going to have their own opinions. Again, like I said, if you guys know anything about the case and just research or Google George Hodel, yeah, it's going <laughs> to... That dog was like... That do- yep. dog's like, yep, it was him. <laughs> dog said it. But if you dog, guys just know when- Google George Hodel and, and him directed <laughs> to the Black Dahlia murders, like, it's almost definitive that he did it, so... And, 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 and. I'm getting under control. Are you sure? Fine. So guys, we actually didn't plan this, but next week for our haunted location, we are actually going to talk about the Queen Mary. And last week we talked about Bloody Mary and it was not planned that way, but it just happened. I guess we were subconsciously thinking about Bloody Mary and then like Queen Mary and we just marry and... We should get married and <laughs> meet me at the altar in your white dress. Oh, Lord, no. <laughs> Do you know <laughs> that wheeze, that laugh I have going I on right like, now? oh, Lord, no. <laughs> oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, he coming. <laughs> oh, Lord, she coming. Oh, no. Oh, Lord. Okay. So next week we are doing Queen Mary. We'll... We, 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 we will be back at scheduled time of Wednesday. Yes. I start my new job on Monday, so if Yay. I seem quiet on social media for a hot minute, that's why um, I've been very quiet on social media anyway right now, because these last couple of weeks have been a lot for me, so I'm trying to keep up with everything. So once I get back into a routine of the new job and I'm back into a routine of normal life, I will definitely be more... Active on social media. Also, random, watch Sabrina Season 3. That came out today. Yep, sure did. If you don't have any, if you have not watched any of it, get on that right now. Or Satan's gonna come for you. (laughs) Praise Satan. Praise Satan. Yeah, it's just been, it's been a crazy week all the way around. Like, just last couple weeks. You've been, you've been battling getting sick. There's been some crazy stuff going around. I have not fucking gotten sick, but other things I'm thankful mine isn't and... a, a contagious thing it's literally just allergies from the back and forth of this weather yeah that's what mine is because I get this every year so I'm saying whatever so guys the word from our sponsor calm your buddy down I sound like pink right now because my my voice is so raspy because I'm too sick bad. I was proud of you Thanks. For that, it's not too bad. It's more like, calm your body down. <laughs> no, Sammy. Um, yeah, guys, so the uh, chocolate bath bombs and the honey body creams are now available. Um, as always, free shipping. Um, I just think that's something just so much easier to offer, and it's something that Etsy overall has been offering on its site. Um, again, Etsy.com, search calm your body down. All bath bombs are $5. All body creams are $3. Um, the honey cream is actually something that I personally think would be great to use even as a lip balm. It's been so dry in this weather. My lips are was, wrecked. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> crazy. And it's, it's probably about as similar as you can get to Burt's Bees, um, without paying as much for the cost. And again, you don't have to necessarily use it as a lip balm. You can use it as a body cream, hand cream. And, um, it has a really distinctive honey scent, but it's not sticky or oily in any way. Um, and the chocolate bath bombs are amazing. I used one the other day and I swear to God, it's like you, you will, you will want to eat your finger. I'm gonna have you will to, like want to eat your own skin. get one when I can actually smell. You will want to eat your own skin by the time you smell it. You're like, like, it will smell like, oh my God, I 
no, I don't know. Like hot chocolate. I, 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 hot, hot. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend it. But well, I can't smell shit right now. You're so. like, I can't smell anything. Like, I could but... put my face in a pile of shit and I wouldn't smell it. I really wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't like, recommend it. <laughs> literally don't do that. I don't recommend yeah, it. Yeah, don't do that. Please don't do that. So. So, guys, if you want to give us a holla <laughs> on social media, please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Don't Fuck With The Original. Make sure to follow to the letter. Um, Twitter handle is DFWTO811. What? Okay, got it. If you it. have any questions, concerns, or would just like to say, hey, what's up? You can email us at DFWTO8493 at gmail.com. If you would like to give us a follow, <clears throat> excuse me, or subscribe and know when we put out new video. God. Fucking damn it. Every time. New <laughs> podcasts. <laughs> Especially in like this week when we didn't do it regularly on a Wednesday. If you follow us, you will definitely find out when we why we didn't post on a Wednesday. Please give us a subscribe or follow on Podbean, Castbox, Podcast Player, Podcast Addicts, and Spotify. Do it. Spotify. Spotify. <laughs> it's the only way to say it. So <laughs> uh guys like we're letting it like the only way to say it letting out air at this point and like <laughs> like there's nothing left i there's have literally nothing also we're going to see yeah. the turning next week um wanted to bring that up because you guys are so excited that horror is literally taking over january right now even though the grudge was <laughs> that's about it I didn't know if I was watching The Grudge or The Ring. Yeah, to be straight I, up with yeah. you, I did not know. Um, even The Ring was better. Over the um, place. It was basically just another horror movie about revenge. There was nothing special about it. The thing that makes The Grudge special is contortion, um, hair, and crawling. And there was none of that. Nope. And that bothered me because that's what makes... Um, yeah. what was her name? Yeah. Oh. Was it a K? Kayako. Kayako. Yeah. I was like, Yoko, and I was like, no. Nope. And I was like, Sadako, and I was like, no, that's... Crap. Ring. <laughs> Help. Close. <laughs> but yeah, the grudge was not good, um, but... In our opinion. In our Sorry, opinion. if you guys liked it, great, but we didn't care for it. So, Underwater, um, I literally give, like, an 8 to a 9. Um, the Grudge, I will give a 5. <laughs> I can't even be that nice. I'll give it a 4. The Turning is tomorrow, and then Hansel and Gretel is next week. So, so excited. super, super excited. But until then, have a nice week. Don't get sick. Don't get sick. Watch serial killer movies like and Zodiac Sabrina and, and Sabrina and sick. Bye. Bye.